we've spoken a lot about the back end of the poem, so I'm going to jump back up to the start here where I'm yeah. talking about being in the waiting room and this idea of um, are we all here waiting to die or are we, are we waiting for permission to live again? And the take home here is when you're waiting, are you waiting or are you living? Yeah. So uh, Eckhart Tolle talks about this, about um, you're not, you're not, waiting you're enjoying yourself if you're standing mm. in line if you're in a hospital waiting room if you've ordered a coffee and the yeah. barista's making it are you living in that moment uh yeah. i mm. spend my time in waiting rooms now doing yoga or talking with patients <laughs> mm. or uh you, you know having making it making the nurses laugh talking with the volunteers at the hospital i'm not sitting there waiting to die mm. I was also coming back to you in that last episode because you said something incredible in that last episode. You said that as a child, we're probably as close to spirit as we might ever be mm. during our lifetime. Um, I mean, there's a belief in there that you came from spirit before you actually were born, but you're as close to spirit as mm. you would ever be as a child. So whoever you are as a child, whatever is emanating from you is the natural of spirit you. Mm. So therefore, it's coming from a pretty powerful source. Yes, yeah. absolutely. It's, yeah. it's the version of you before the world changes you. you that's, a, that's a great sentence. It's a great sentence. The version of you before the world or we allowed the world to change us. Mm. Like, wow. Done a, lot of, um, done a lot of personal and psychological work in the lead up to meeting you, getting involved in this sport. And this is why I love this, love what we're doing so much. Uh, what the podcast did was, and what you certainly facilitated, particularly with the Nepal trips, is it really forced me to just start actioning all this information I'd just been guzzling down, mm. right? And so that's why this is so valuable. And that's why we're leaning so hard on this. Guys, you've got to do something. It's, it's yeah. not enough just to listen. Yeah. It's not enough just to consume. Yeah. You've got to do something. Yeah. And, and that's get, this podcast has given me the accountability and the reason to, to start doing yeah. as opposed to learning. Yeah, well, well said. Popular demand, dear people. That's what's working here. Popular demand on three levels. By popular demand, I announce <laughs> that he has arrived to be a co-facilitator of this podcast, and I'm absolutely delighted to announce no more is he in the backdrop. No more is he in the background. He's here, sitting beside me. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Chip Lachlan, honey, to the interviewing table. You're going to give people the impression that Lachlan is my middle name instead of my actual name? <laughs> Which I adore. But yes, no, look, the people asked and we answered. All three of you who asked for me to co-host officially, here I am. I'd like to thank those people because <laughs> I, I really do believe, Chip, that you sitting here and co-hosting the program is going to add so much value to your man.
Mm, I hope you're right. Yeah, I, I'm feeling good about it. Well, I, I'm feeling absolutely delighted about it. And I tell you who also should be um, tap dancing that you're here is you, Louise Benefit, because you're back here by popular demand, but this time a very different experience. You're going to be mm. uh, interviewed by the Burnster and the Chipster. How do you feel about that? Oh, I'm feeling very excited. <laughs> I am eager and ready to go. Mm, what, we love what's that What's been energy. your experience so far of Lachlan Chip Huddy? I got it right there. There you go. Man. Yeah, there yeah, go. yeah. Or now we're just confusing people. Now, now I know. Now I know even knows if any of those are my actual name. I'm not you sure know. what your name is, but let's let's go with Chip. As huh? long as it's not Bing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't like Bing. <laughs> You've met the chipster before. What's been your experience of the good man? Oh, he's pretty wonderful. Very <laughs> insightful. Uh, very insightful. Very insightful. You that's can, why he's here. You can stay. Checks in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? That's why he's here because uh, his articulation of phrase, the way that he sees things and the way that he responds things. And you see, our listeners have heard that through your loaded questions mm-hmm. and through your beautiful, wonderful summary, which won't be going uh, to the side, by the way. No, no. Uh, no. Yeah, Chips still, take home pay. That stays. Absolutely. So, mm. mate, you're you're taking it over. <laughs> mm, mm, I'm definitely doing much more work than you. So. <laughs> I tell you what, Chip. The other thing, by popular demand, are we happy with subscribership and followership, please, mate? Now, you you keep abreast of these things. Can we have a commentary, mate? How are we going with regard to increasing our numbers? Because we mm. are on a mission, dear pal. Yeah, we are on a mission and we're going for some pretty impressive numbers. So are we there yet? No, but that's all right because those numbers are difficult. Uh, I will say our um, current efforts have literally doubled our, our sub- both our subscribers and our listenership. That's terrific, mate. So, so I mean, that's that's fantastic progress, that's and that's terrific. all we can all we can be looking for. I reckon by the end of this year, dear dear people, we're talking about four thousand members. Now, I used the word members there, mm-hmm. Chip. Shall we give them just a little taste of give what a little, membership? A little taste of amore. Yeah. Amore. Amore. What's amore? Amore. That's amore. Be... Dean Martin, mate. Yeah. <laughs> ah, it's well, I mean, that must be the most the most covered song <laughs> in history, too. But yeah, I th- Dean's Dean's version is my favorite. No, so Amore, obviously it means uh, it's Italian for love, um, and it's going to be our uh, subscription-only community. Should we say community, Burns? Or? I like that. I yeah. like that. Yeah, so um, that'll be uh, open to subscribers. There'll be subscriber-only content on both a continuous and a one-off basis for when you sign up, um, and it'll be continually evolving, and it will be getting even more granular, going even deeper and casting the net uh, sort of even wider than we do in the actual podcast. That's not to say that the uh, free podcast won't just be full of massively useful and valuable information. We will work hard to make sure it is, um, but we're going to be bringing even more stuff, even more value and devoting even more time. Love it, um, mate. Love it, love it. I think the point that you make that the the podcast itself, as our listeners know it, mm. it's not going to change. No, it's going to get they're even going, better. They're going to get the same value, if not more, Absolutely. out of the out of the podcast. But, for example, this beautiful, wonderful human being called Louise Bennett, um, she has already been able to summarize her last podcast, Podcast 59, an incredible podcast with wonderful feedback, Louise. And thank you for spreading the love too because Absolutely. I know that many of you 
your good people that, that, that you know came on board and we're very, very appreciative of that. But you made a terrific summary of that podcast into a two-page uh, coaching manual, a coaching assignment. And so for Amore down the track, they're going to be able to touch base of, um, of that, that, that summary of tips, actions, routines and disciplines on how to become the joy that you so mm. beautifully exemplify. How are you feeling today, Louise? Because you had chemotherapy yesterday. Yeah. I did, yes. Yeah. Mm. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling okay. I'm feeling pretty good, but I'm definitely feeling the impacts of chemo. Wow. Um, you know, quite fatigued and mm. foggy. Um, the term is chemo brain. Wow. Uh, mm. And so I'm certainly not as sharp cognitively as I normally am. This will yeah. last for a few days. Mm. But, you know, I'm still delighted to be here. And, yeah. um, you know, despite the impacts of chemo, I still I feel great. So, yeah. yeah. And, you're, and Louise, your 65% still looks like most of our 120% anyway. So, <laughs> you know, I'm confident it'll be a good episode. <laughs> Louise, bring our, our listeners, who, who some of whom may have missed that incredible episode where, in which you described um, a life journey. Uh, that has now resulted in the outcome of you experiencing a breast cancer. Mm. But rather than me fill in the details, can I give you two or three minutes just to tell us that story again, just dot points, so that anybody listening freshly to this podcast would know the story? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I, I spoke about how I felt from a young age some sort of connection to um, – to the spirit, I suppose, is the term that I would use. Uh, and so, you know, my childhood was kind of filled with this idea that that maybe there was something different about the world rather than what we'd been taught. When I was um, 11, 12, 13 years of age, I experienced sexual trauma and that experience really did shape the next many years of my life until I was around the age of 30. Yeah. So the way that I internalized that, that early experience of sexual trauma was that I, it, it changed me in that I took on this role of protector with the pe people and the relationships in my life. It started with my siblings and then it expanded out to basically any person that I had any sort of relationship. And in doing so, in feeling that I had to protect the people around me and keep them safe from any sort of harm. I I internalized the trauma that I experienced and that that manifested within my body in many different ways as trauma does. So when you hold on to your experiences rather than finding a healthy way to let them go, it it changes you on a cellular level. Wow. And so I be, I believe that um for myself, that trauma manifested in me, you know, not not respecting and understanding my own body and the experiences that I was having and then slowly, slowly manifesting into what became a cancer. Yeah. And so I was diagnosed at the age of 33 with breast cancer. Yeah. Um, and so for the last year of my life, I've been going on this journey through – uh, you know, I guess working through what breast cancer means for me and going through more recently through surgery and through chemotherapy and coming through all of this feeling 
delighted to be here, really, um, really healing the trauma that I went through. Uh, and I think it's important to note as well that I have a daughter, a four-year-old daughter. Yeah. So that really shapes me as well, being a mother. Yeah. Mm. There's a couple of highlights in there, just a, a fraction more elaboration. The, the, the concept that the trauma manifested itself as you recognising that the world is unsafe. Mm. That, yes. that was the interesting connection for me. The world is unsafe, therefore I must become protector. Yes, absolutely. And th- then there was that, that, that extrapolation of that, that as protector, it impacted relationships and connections with other people. Um, and even though there was a marriage involved later on in life, I think from the last episode, you even alluded to the fact that maybe that role as protector um, and as the safety officer may have even affected or impacted the way the marriage played out. Mm, Absolutely it did yeah Um, when I say every relationship in my life including my romantic relationships as well yeah for sure just um, when you're trying to to protect or keep others from any sort of harm what you're really doing is not allowing anybody to to fully grow and to become Mm, themselves. Yeah, but Chip, the reason why Louise is here for the second time mm. <laughs> is not because you have cancer and it's not because, it's not even because of all of that incredible story that you've just shared with us. The reason why you're here is because we've got to understand how you are so joyful. We've got to understand how you, with breast cancer, middle of a chemotherapy um, medical pathway that's been bestowed upon you, how you are so joyful and so loving. We've got to even test whether it's true or not. We know it's true, but we're absolutely astounded by how did you get to that. Chip, is that what's your experience of watching Louise and just, you know, you shake your head too, as I do, mm. and go, remarkable human being. Yeah. Uh, well, that's exactly my experience. And what excites me so much about this episode is we're, um, we're, it's, we're kind of getting a window. We're going to be getting a window into Louise's head. And, and, and through her poetry, because that's what we're going to be doing today, Louise is going to be reading some Elaborate. poetry. Where did poetry come into oh, this? I mean, I'm getting... I'm getting into it. So Louise, uh, at pretty much all of the time points along this journey you've had with cancer, you've been semi-documenting it, but also, you know, expressing what you've been feeling through these poems, right? Mm. So this, like, I'm really excited about this episode because I'm a huge, as you know, Byrne, I'm a huge believer in the power of art and the power of story to, um, you know, illuminate really important messages and to help us internalize uh, really important lessons. And that's really what we're going to be doing with these poems today because it gives us a window into a Louise head and to answer your question how I look at Louise is a really remarkable person who's done some really remarkable work to have a really remarkable journey these poems are really going to help us see what that journey is um, Lu- Louise you've, you brought together to us today nine poems I, we're not going to do all nine I, I think we've chosen about five or six mm-hmm. that we're going to to get through why did you write them why do you write it's it's very much like meditating in that you're sitting with yourself, in yourself, in how you're feeling and you're expressing 
that. So it's like meditation with expression. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's important to note too that while poetry and journaling and writing is my creative outlet, uh, everybody has their own. So for some people it is painting. Painting yeah. can be that um, that way that we express what we're holding inside. It can be music. It can be creating music or um, dance or any yeah. any creative outlet yeah. can be that thing that helps us to to work through whatever it is that we're we're feeling and that we're holding on to. Because if you're giving all of us a, um, an awareness, know what is your creative expression and please, dear people, never let go of it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I do always make a point of saying to people when I have this kind of discussion, if you're not sure what your creative outlet is, look at what you was you were inter- interested in when you were a child. Yeah. Because that is usually what will resonate with you now again, yeah, yeah. especially if you've lost it. Robert Wall, Chipster. Remember Robert yeah. Wall? He, he was saying to us, look at who you were as a child because mm. it's a forecast to the possibilities of you as an adult. Yeah, uh, uh-huh. well, because children just seek what brings them joy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm. And so whatever you did for fun as a child is, you know, that's going to be the thing that brings you that joy as yeah. an adult. Um, and the, the beauty of being an adult is now you can sort of channel that into a more formal practice maybe a more trained a more educated practice and you can bring beautiful things into the world yeah yeah Mm. i'm also coming back to you in that last episode because you said something incredible in that last episode you said that as a child we're probably as close to spirit as we might ever be Mm. during our lifetime um i mean there's a belief in there that you came from spirit before you actually were born but you're as close to spirit as Mm. you would ever be as a child so whoever you are as a child whatever is emanating from you is the natural of spirit you Mm. so therefore it's coming from a pretty powerful source Yes, yeah. absolutely. It's yeah. it's the version of you before the world changes you. you mm. that's, a, that's a great sentence. It's a great sentence. The version of you before the world or we allowed the world to change us. Mm. Wow. How are we doing, beautiful people? It's the Chipster here. And what a strange pleasure to parachute into my own very first interview as co-facilitator with the first of today's loaded questions. Let's talk about creativity because creativity seems to me to be very important in terms of human well-being. And Louise put it so well when she suggested that whatever creative activity you engaged in as a child was the expression of a purer self, a version of yourself before the world changed you. That sounds powerful to me. So I'll expand on this in the take-home pay, but for now it's enough to just ask ourselves one of two questions. So first question is for those of us who've grown up and no longer do anything creative like we did as a child. So I want you to think, what was your favorite act of creativity as a child? Because you would have had one. Was it drawing with crayons? Was it singing wiggle songs to your mum and dad? Was it writing half-page stories about your dog that felt to you like epic novels? Was it making mud pies? Could be as simple as making mud pies. Think, what was it? Because you did something creative, and I'll bet it brought you a lot of joy. Now, 
other questions this, and this is for those of us who still do creative things, even as adults. What was the creative act or acts from your childhood that you let slip away? Because maybe you still play guitar, but you stopped writing. Maybe you still sing, but you stopped painting. I used to draw every day. Now I never do. And the question I'm pondering now, and I think it's worth you pondering too, was it worth giving away? Louise, um, these poems, um, what we'll do is we're going to have you in the main read them in your best reading voice. <laughs> and uh, we're going to wait until we finish the piece of poetry and then uh, the three of us, let's have a discussion around what the, uh, what the poem means. The first one is called Waiting. Give us the context of the poem so that the listener who's about to hear it knows what it's all about. Sure. So this poem was written while I was in a hospital waiting room. It was written before my cancer diagnosis became serious. So this poem was written, let's say, six months ago when I was told that my cancer diagnosis was mild and that all I would need was surgery. So this, this poem was written by a very healthy version of me mm-hmm. who uh, was absolutely not expecting to ever be sitting here in front of you in the middle of chemotherapy. Um, but you'd had the mastectomy by then? No, I hadn't had oh, surgery. I, I hadn't yeah. had any treatment yet. Mm, mm-hmm. mm. Take it away. Waiting by Louise Bennett. The woman sits across we, The woman sits across me. <laughs> False start there, yeah, listeners. Let's start that one again. <laughs> All right, we good? The woman sits across me with her husband, and I wonder, if I were as sick as she so clearly is, would I choose to be here? A sad, dry hospital waiting room. Is it called a waiting room because we're all waiting to die? Or are we waiting for permission to live again? Wow. Permission to be as we once were before the cancer got us. Or before our husbands or wives muted us. Or before our light was extinguished when we learned at some point that a waiting room is a place to wait, not play. She's beautiful, this woman. Does she know this? The sadness in her eyes is pure and true, and it reminds me that we're all just humans, all on the same journey, just a little bit adjacent. I'm much younger than she. Does she look at me and wonder why I am here? Does she recall what it was like to be my age? I assume she has children. Her husband has a water bottle that reads 100% awesome dad, and let's hope he's lived up to that. I hope he's also been a 100% awesome husband because his wife deserves that right now. I wonder where her children are, how old they are, their own stories intertwined beautifully and magically with this woman. I remember this morning when my daughter's friend was asking me about my tattoo. It reads, everything is connected. I explained the reasoning behind this tattoo to the four-year-old, describing how even she and I are connected And my precious little daughter said to me with a small pang of jealousy, and you're connected to me too. Yes, little one, I am connected to you the most. 
the strongest connection on earth runs between each mother and her children. Thin strings as fragile as glass and strong as diamonds and they join us all down our maternal ancestral line. This woman here across from me has her own strings, her mother to her, her children to her. And I am sending her all the energy in the world to remember these strings, to call on their power and to thrive. It's a good reminder for me too. Well, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to hand clap. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> what were you trying to say to the reader? Um, it's, and, and it occurs to me that you're actually now commenting on this as a different person that sits in the waiting room. Mm. Like if you were to write the waiting room now, it might be a different poem. Mm. So you've got the contrasting weights. <laughs> I absolutely do. Yeah. Mm. What are you saying to us? This poem is its a, like a love letter to, to mums almost. Wow. Um, you know, I start off in the waiting room there talking about that idea of um, waiting and what waiting is and that, that maybe we learn to wait rather than to play. And I think that, you know, that's a really important message that, that even when we're sitting there in a waiting room, we don't need to be waiting. Wow. Um, but then, you know, it really moves into this idea that, that mothers have this incredible connection with their children and whether that connection is, um, you know, whether we still do have that strong of a connection with our children in that we see them all the time, but that that thread exists always, always between a mother and her children. And, and so it's really a message to this woman to remember the strength that she has to bring children into this world and to, to be a mother and then to go through something like cancer as well to, to remember how strong she is and the power that exists in her and that existed within her mother and within her grandmother and all the way down through that, through that line. You know, to me... In response to that, I as a man therefore have to, have to respect that power. <laughs> mm. You know, there are times where I sort of reach a conclusion that women are sacred. Mm-hmm. You're smiling. You're okay with that one. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. And, 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 and as a man, we must mature and grow to see the divine feminine in all women, mm. all women, because they have that, which I don't think men naturally have. And, and I think you even question it there too in the poem when you say, I hope he's been a 100% awesome dad mm. and awesome husband. It's like doubt over whether, <laughs> mm. whether the men have the capacity to love in the same way. Yeah. And interestingly, just the, I would even challenge that line now yeah. as well. So in the, in the, the way that I've changed in, from the time that I wrote that to now because men do have the divine feminine within them as well. Uh, 
often often men are more masculine at their core, but not all men. Yeah. Uh, mm. And but there is a there is a balance or a a certain degree of masculine and feminine within all of us. And so, you know, I've I've been fortunate enough to meet men who do have that wonderful divine feminine within them as well as the divine masculine. Would you still call them male, really male? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah having a degree of feminine within the masculine yeah. is is a good thing. Yeah. yeah. What does the divine feminine in a male look like? The same that it looks like in a female. You know, the trusting of intuition, the the wildness, the compassion, the nurturing. Mm. These are all things that that men should be embracing alongside the the masculine part of them in that logic and planning and power and yeah. everything that we think about in the masculine. Comment on the word wildness there. You got me oh. intrigued. <laughs> oh, that's a core part of the feminine. The, a core part of feminine is is wildness and unpredictability. What's it look like? Uh, in in this idea that women might be rash in their decisions okay. or that they might be emotional, yeah. um, which is something to embrace. Yeah. I can't imagine what's going through your mind, Chip. <laughs> uh, oh, lots of agreement. Lots of agreement. I just, you know, when we use uh, terms like divine feminine, uh, it just gets a bit vague for me. It's like, what are we? Yeah. We're just talking about, you know, tra- we're talking about personality traits. We're talking about yeah. um, the ways diff- the different sexes typically express probably the same instinct, I would say. Yeah. Um, and I would profoundly agree that you know you you need to have you need to have an element of both in your personality. I mean, men need to be compassionate. We need to, and we need to respect compassion. Yeah. You know, rather than exalting these really traditional, you know, quote unquote, male traits, and yeah. and then um, refusing to acknowledge the value of of compassion of nurturing. Um, and that, because that's it's, it's dehumanizing when we do that, mm. you know, and it cuts us off from the essential humanity that we all share. I reckon. I like I like your comment there, where a little bit of the danger of phrases like divine feminine is it it, it puts it into a category that um, a lot of people actually don't understand mm, when we are, so. might be just talking about. Um, beautiful feminine qualities mm. um, that uh, that really should be admired, embraced, mm. and also for men, I, I, I attractive enough to actually want to mirror some of them mm. within themselves mm. back to the feminine. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, let, let's go. Let's go, l- l- as we leave this poem. Let's go around the room, all three of us, <laughs> mm-hmm. and let's see whether we can actionize it. Remember, this is what the podcast is all about. It's it's about how, how do we how do we convert mm. these type of concepts into an action, a strategy, a, a way of seeing the world mm. um, that can add real value to to life and help each and every one of us to become a little bit more sustainably joyful and a bit more loving towards self, you know, people and 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 life itself. So it, so that I can. Um, I'll throw my first one in, and, and then we'll go around the room, and, and let's see what action um, we can we can we, we can discover. 
um, men, start seeing, choose to see the value, the beauty, and the incredible gifts that all women have founded in that almost natural ability to love, to nurture, to mm. care, exemplified predominantly in the way they interact with their children. But as you so incredibly said, the ancestral line, it never seems to disappear from the ancestral line, mm. grandmother to mother to daughter, you know. Men see women beautifully, all women. Mm. Mm. That's a beautiful message to take away from this poem. Well, I'm, I'm not trying to leave it as a message. I'm actually mm. calling upon men, change your paradigm. Mm. Change your mm. paradigm. And, and I would say, let's see that first before you see the body, mm. you know, before you see um, the passion. See that first. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just add that? To Please. that too. So this is going to be my action. In terms of really drilling down, how do you change that paradigm uh, and acknowledge the value in all these feminine things? Uh, starts with, for all men, acknowledging which of those traits you really share, um, honoring those and not feeling like that's anything to minimize in yourself just because they're feminine. Yeah, right? yeah. And then uh, hopefully allowing this... <clears throat> And then hopefully allowing this to allow you to acknowledge uh, the common ground that you share with women because I think we other men other women too much still, I think. You gotta we're all humans yeah. and we and yes, there are some differences, but the things we have in common vastly outnumber those. And you can do that, then now suddenly women are part of the tribe. Women can just be a mate, yeah, the same as a mate, yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, and I just think sort of the barrier for interaction comes right down when you yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. you know. Do you mind if I, if I, if I can ask you just to drill down because you you started by saying recognize that it's okay to display what we might traditionally call a feminine quality, mm. right, men? Can you actually narrow it down to one such quality? I know there's many, right? Mm -hmm. But can you narrow it down to one such quality? Hey, fellas, it's okay. You can still be a man and display this quality. What is this quality? Nurturing. Oh. And I would say, for example, for me, that would express with uh, – I have a very good friend. He struggles to go to the gym by himself. So for accountability, we just go together. And I see that – as a way of me nurturing him. Yeah. It's a really manly way to do it, but nurturing is exactly mm. what that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you, what does nurturing a female mate look like? Mm. Is, for men, how do you, you express – I should be asking you, Louise. You know, you please join in. What does that look like to nurture um, a, a, a beautiful feminine mate friend that you've got in your life? Mm. Yes. Well, I mean, the – easiest one I can go to um, is my wife. For me, that is, and this is this is learned, I mean, you're going to have to put some work in mm. to really get to know somebody, but it's supplying what she needs um, in the moment that she needs it. My wife is a verbal person and she vents a lot. Yeah. And uh, a lot of our relationship is me 
has been a process of me discovering when do I need to offer you a solution? When do I need to just be here and listen to you? Wow. Very important. Yeah. Well, you like that one, Louise. Absolutely. (laughs) I I like a few things that you said there, Chip. Um, The idea that you need to know your partner Mm. or the the person that you are nurturing could be, you know, maybe your mother or Mm. another, like a family member, a friend. But if you're nurturing the feminine, uh, you know, understand what it is that they need from you and understand too that the masculine is to offer solutions, Mm. but the feminine isn't always looking for a solution. She's Mm. just looking for understanding. Mm. And so you got to say that, that one again. Uh, there's a there's a little wow chip. That's a, chip. That's a little wow. <laughs> that, that's that's a, making the final cut. Look, I'm giving you all all the fam- all the masculine out there. There's a very good hint for yeah. you. She's looking for understanding, mm. not a solution. Not a solution. We sometimes, fellas want to give solutions. Sometimes don't we? a solution, and you need to know. You, need, you know, you'll learn yeah. when. The solution is appropriate, but yeah. the understanding comes mm. first. Oh, God, I've been guilty of that. Mm-hmm. I've been so guilty of that. Can you offer us another action, you know, from mm. this poem here, from this discussion here? Is there another take-home pay that we could consider? There is, and we've spoken a lot about the back end of the poem, so I'm going to jump back up to the start here where I'm yeah. talking about being in the waiting room and this idea of um, – are we all here waiting to die or are we we waiting for permission to live again? And the take home here is when you're waiting, are you waiting or are you living? So uh, Eckhart Tolle talks about this, about um, you're not, you're not waiting, you're enjoying yourself. If you're standing Mm -hmm. in line, if you're in a hospital waiting room, if you've ordered a coffee and the barista's making it, are you living in that moment? Uh, I spend my time in waiting rooms now doing yoga or talking with patients <laughs> mm. or, uh, you, you know, having making, it, making the nurses laugh, talking with the volunteers at the hospital. I'm not sitting there waiting to die mm. and I'm not on my phone. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm in the moment. Yeah. No, and, and when you're in the moment, there's no such thing as wasted time. Absolutely. That's mm. right. There is no such thing as wasting time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I had that experience the other day when I went up to accompany you for your, not yesterday's chemo session, the one the week before, mm. because there were people in the waiting room right beside the cup of tea and the cup of coffee uh, making station. And, and I thought to myself, how many people here are going to do what I'm about to do? So I asked every single one of them, can I get you a cup of tea? Can I get you a cup of coffee? <laughs> yeah. That might be the most Bernie thing I've That's ever fabulous. heard. You know, I was wondering what took you so long. <laughs> That's what I did. That's what I did. Oh, I, did. I just had a cup of tea. Oh, thank you very, very much. You know, it's amazing how much that surprise. And then I think to myself, why wouldn't you? If you're making one for yourself mm. and for you and for, for Brendan, right? why wouldn't you make someone while you're there mm. a cup of tea? Mm-hmm. And, of course, may I just throw in uh, why? It's not only about them. That gives me joy. Mm. Yeah. That's yes. the key point here. I'd, sorry, I do it selfishly. Selfish, like selfish actions make you happy. Yeah. 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 Yes. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, well, some, I mean, not all. Let's yeah. let's actually yeah. clarify that. I think, yeah, I think it's yeah, yeah it's uh, it's important. Yeah, to clarify, as you say, uh, there should always be something in it for you. Yeah. Mm. You know, yeah. um, because relentless um, 
you know, selflessness in the vacuum of getting anything at all in return uh, will just seems to lead to resentment. Mm. Yes, yes. Without the expectation of something coming back for you. Mm. Yeah, then it's not service so much as Mm. just a feeling of enslavement, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I'm really, really glad we've broken our first rule, which was 10 minutes per mm. poet. Per mm. Poem. Mm. Mm. Yep. As soon as you Good said luck. that, yeah. I knew that was not going to happen. <laughs> Chipster, guess what? This is an opportunity for you and I to talk about one of our favourite subjects, Nepal, Nepal and the Himalayas. Yeah, I got that uh, pre-trip excitement now. You know, the anticipation's like one of the best bits. When are we going? We are on April 3rd. April the 3rd. And we've got some people... People going to Everest Base Camp over 14 days, eight days there, yeah. six days back, and others at exactly the same time. The cool kids. We're going to Gokyo. Oh, mate, I'm so pumped. <laughs> you know, because you know, I thought we were going to Gokyo last trip, and then, we, and then we had to take these people to where they wanted to go. Um, but as, look, as much as I love Everest Base Camp, seen it, I am very keen for Gokyo, mate. I, I'm just keen for the Himalayas because yeah, yeah, every yeah. time I walk walk into that environment, those mountains speak to me. They penetrate my soul, mm. but coupled with the beauty of sharing, sharing yeah, our Sherpa Yoda uh, and his beautiful team. And, of course, they're founded in incredible, wonderful Buddhism, Buddhism principles, mm. and the trilogy of that, mate, I don't know what it does to you, but I'll tell you what, mate, I come back a different person every time. Better person, I hope. You know, not as... What do you mean you hope? It's <laughs> giving <laughs> a real burn. No, I mean, I love those guys. Now, preceding the Himalayas, of course, Kagendra. Yeah, it's one of our, it's the unique experience we offer. I mean, not many tours, if any, do something like this. We're going to yeah. take people to give them the opportunity to take a class at Kagendra Second Life School, um, which is the vocational school that we sponsor in Kathmandu. One of their main missions is to educate and give opportunities to disabled children. 600 of them now, Chip. 600 of them. Yeah, we should hasten to add not all of these are disabled children um, because Kagendra is such a a renowned school now, you know, people just want to send their children here because of the quality of the education. And it's renowned because um, we had the opportunity after the earthquakes of 2015 to embark upon a project to build them a brand new school and in May 2022 that's what we walked into one of the more memorable days of my life to walk into that beautiful school Mm. and have that school assembly now we're leaving on April the 3rd and Chip for our listeners out there um, we're asking you to invest in whatever airfare that you want and you've got choices dear people you just need to meet us in Kathmandu on April the 3rd and I can let you know now that there's an opportunity to to buy the rest of it, buy the whole experience for under $4,000 at the moment. And there so all they have to do is to get in contact with us. The website's nearly there, not quite. Nearly, But yeah. we just need them to take this phone number, all right? Yep. Now, you got a pen? No, you haven't got a pen. Go get yourselves a pen. Yeah, I'm giving you a few bit of time. You got one? Yeah, you got it. Okay, here we go. Plus 61 412 982 
444. Replay the podcast if you want to hear that number again. And all you got to do is just text me, dear people, and say, yeah. hey, Bernie, I'm interested. Send me an information kit. Within 24 hours, you'll have all the information that you could possibly need to make an informed decision about joining us. Chip, how much would we love to have some of our listeners on board? Oh, it'd be the best. And it's always a fantastic experience. The community and the walking the trail with other people. I mean, and the camaraderie. Yeah. You feel like that's yeah. that's probably my uh, favourite part of this whole thing. And as we're walking towards Dingbo Shay from Pangbo Shay, which podcast do you think they'll say was the best, Chip? Oh, certainly mine. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, that was the wrong answer, you dude, Peach. <laughs> hey, talking about podcasts, let's move on to our, our second piece. And even the title suggests a bit of a contrasting colour mm-hmm. because it's called Black Tar, Louise. Give us the context of this piece of work. Mm. Uh, this poem is just an absolute juxtaposition. There's that word that Chip loves. It's such a juxtaposition of that previous poem. What the friggin' hell does juxtaposition mean? (laughs) Oh, geez, my chemo brain needs to pull that one (laughs) Can you please take that for me? Yeah, Uh, juxtaposition is just placing two things uh, side by side so that the contrast between them alerts you to a deeper meaning. Got Beautiful. You. This is Thank why you. you're here, Chip. Thank you. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> I needed that one. <laughs> Black tar. Uh, yes, yeah, so this poem was a, tr- a real event uh, that happened to me. And it was, let's say, two to three years ago that I wrote this poem. And it's a very, very true uh, mm. description of what I was feeling at work in the bathroom at work one day when an event triggered me and my trauma rose to the surface Wow! um, in a very, very big way. Black Tar by Louise Bennett. (laughs) Crying in the bathroom at work. What a hot mess cliche I am. There are motivational quotes on the wall telling me that women can do it all. Usually a motivational quote would excite me. I'm that kind of tacky. But today it just reminds me that I am broken. I might seem pieced together, uncracked china, perfect and whole, not a chink in my armour, a vessel that can hold anything placed within my confines. I'm not, though. I'm crumbling, falling to pieces again and again like a cliff eroding into the ocean. Every day a little bit more of me falls off and I don't know where to find it. I pretend I am Kintsugi, People see the cracks but think they've been mended, flecks of gold covering every inch of the parts that were once broken. Beauty in the destruction. There is no beauty here, no gold. There is brokenness and catastrophe, oil slicks, tar, dripping blackness oozing from my eyeballs. I am returned to the primordial sludge I came from. I am so disintegrated that I am nothing but fossil fuels. I am not human. I am the being that came in the millennia before humankind. I am slippery, wet, disgusting, and filthy. Wow. I am a pool of slime coating the bathroom where I work. I sit on the toilet seat and weep, my pants around my ankles, embarrassingly pathetic. The motivational poster tells me, smile. I don't know where my mouth is anymore. It's resting in the puddle on the floor with the rest of my face. 
Broken fragments of tears continue to fall. They clink on the cold, tiled ground. I shudder and remind myself where I am. Try to rein in the puddle I've created. Complete the puzzle pieces of my broken body. Right arm here, left leg there. Where is the heart supposed to be again? I make a guess at where my organs belong. Without feeling them, it's impossible to know if I get it right. I suppose I look human again. I pull my pants back up. Flush, look in the mirror. I wash my face, take a breath, replaster my fa fragmented face. Is this how I looked before? I walk out into the world. Hello, what a day, how great it is to be here. What a joy this all is. <laughs> I sprinkle the magic, my fleshy exterior concealing the sludge inside. Nobody ever needs to know just how little of me they actually see. Wow, 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 wow. I mean, sometimes to keep this podcast going, you just feel like taking a long period of silence <laughs> after, after these, these readings. Nobody ever needs to know just how little of me they actually see. Yeah, this poem is absolutely about being broken on the inside the version of myself that the world mm. knew and was experiencing was was very put together. If people mm. who I was working with at this time in my life read this and when they hear this, they'll be absolutely – this is not the version that they knew. Mm. Um, yeah. Whereas now, you know, apparently if you're speaking to medical professionals, there's damage to me on the inside physically. Yeah. But, um, and so, you know, that's displayed in my exterior, you know, in the fact that I have a breast removed and I'm yeah. going through chemotherapy, so I have no hair. But internally, I feel absolutely uh, whole. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I know this, 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 oh, you know how I love a challenge. Mm. <laughs> Chip's looking at me, folks. He knows, he knows what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'll even lead it. Mm -hmm. Why don't we go? Are we prepared to go around the room, all three of us? What don't people see that we didn't, that we don't want them to see? I'm asking the question, you know, like, mm. I reckon there's a call here. The action here is. How authentic mm. do we want to be? And I, I reckon there's another question, and maybe we should answer this question first. Is that raw authenticity, is there a real danger to it? Mm, good question. Whereby going to that depth of raw authenticity may not be advantageous at all. Or does one spiritually go to that depth so that you know that you can be, but in the daily interactions of life with those around us, we choose when we reveal that raw authenticity and we choose when not to, recognizing that some people, one, can't handle it, or two, you actually give such raw authenticity to people who are then going to make life difficult for you. Mm -hmm. mm. uh, there's, there's, there's two outcomes there. 
But to me, I can't stand the thought that I'm not on a pathway towards that raw authenticity. Mm -hmm. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I'd rather be able to go to that place but then have the awareness as to when one displays it and and when doesn't. Mm. Right? Mm. So I'm going to start and you guys, you can join, you can come in and use your own examples <laughs> or you can say, pass Bernie. <laughs> mm. right? You've got to laugh at this. Right? But as a single man, I occasionally go onto the dating sites in the hope. And I've decided from those experiences that I've had over the last six or seven years that there is only one way to go onto the dating site. And that is, if you read my profile, I'll swear to you, you cannot get a more raw, authentically written profile. On the dating site. It just says it exactly as I hope it will be, as I, as I want to see the possibility of treasured love to come. And yet, I honestly believe I get red flagged by half the ladies because it's too raw. Mm, probably. It's too, it's too open mm-hmm. and, and they can't handle it. And then in the process of the little dialogues that are meant to set up a cup of coffee, (laughs) it is remarkable how an honesty and a transparency can actually scare the shit out of them or the person that I'm speaking to Mm. and leave me solo. Mm. Mm. And so... My pathway towards being more real and more raw, I'm learning that it's got to be coupled with the empathy of what other people can handle. And I have to learn, I have to learn that to actually, to love people is to actually be that empathy. Yeah, I just, as I spoke, that was the recognition that I that I came to because rawness and authenticity is one thing, but without empathy, it's actually a burden. It's actually a piece of luggage that you throw onto someone that many people can't handle. Mm. Mm-hmm. So the call is rawness, authenticity, fullness of love is useless unless it is founded with some empathy as to how the other can receive it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'll just add to that. Um, I think it's about taking some serious thought to think about how you want to behave in an ideal world and how you may need to behave in the world that we have because the world that we have is not ideal. That's beautiful. Mm. And to That's me, yeah, and, and it's an old saying. It's just easily summed up and you've got to meet people where they are. Not where you are, mm. 
and not where you want them to be, where they are. Or play. I agree. Mm. However, I am going to throw in a little challenge here in that if you are searching like on dating sites to find somebody who potentially... It's not my only pathway. (laughs) Well, I mean, (laughs) okay, let's not just... We don't need to discuss that. I don't want to incriminate me. (laughs) (laughs) And it ain't tender. (laughs) Sure, mate, sure. Whatever you're using. No judgment here. (laughs) Um, let's, Let's flip that then. If you're searching for somebody to share your life with. Yeah. Mm. Do you want to be anybody but your true authentic self with I that agree, person? I agree with you, but but I'm letting you know now it ain't it ain't accelerating the outcome. Mm. I would say I would agree with Louise here and say that that is a filter uh, that uh, catches people who were never mm. going to be the outcome you're looking for. Yeah. yeah. That's Yeah. I suppose. Gee, some of them look good. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair enough, mate. Some fair of them sound enough. very good on the profile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can't even get a cup of coffee. You know? Yeah, jeez. I guess uh, I'm, you know, I'm looking at this from a very different perspective to you. Yeah. Uh, but I, for me personally, there is there is too much to lose by not being your true authentic mm, self that's in that in that particular in, circumstance especially. or in any circumstance truly mm, that's but yes uh, there is like you're just doing a disservice to yourself and so by not being your true self you're hiding a part of you and yeah. empathy compassion is so important that should be mm. part of who your authentic self is yeah um, but you also shouldn't be Hiding the wildfire is what I'm going to call it. Yeah. Uh, I, my Brendan, who is just, you know, when I met him, he's my soulmate, you know, and I just felt this instant mm. connection with him. And I say that he is a wildfire yeah. in that this, there is this part of him that that is wild and unpredictable. Uh, and I suppose that in him, that's the divine feminine. Uh, but... But I embrace that because I appreciate so much that he is his true, authentic self with me. Yeah. Uh, and I am the same with him. And because we, we are one, like we are completely ourselves with one another, and in the way that we walk through the world, there's just nothing but acceptance. Wow. Oh. And I'm just going to say here too that finding your true, authentic self is a journey, and I mm. am still on that journey myself too. Where, uh, you know. Honestly, there are situations where I will leave and I'll be like, oh, I wasn't true to myself mm. in that moment. And so, you know, everyone's on this pathway and on a journey there. So, don't feel like um, if if you can recall a time where, oh, I wasn't true to myself there, that's okay yes. as well. Uh, it's okay because we're all Every just day. on a journey. Yeah. Yeah. It's all just a learning pathway. Just how little of me. They actually see. I read that line there and I guess oh, there's still so much that mm. – needs to be that I have there's just so much of me that can still be appropriately exposed yeah Mm. hey um, we're going to move on from that poem although I did throw the question out as to whether either of you had anything that people don't see that you're prepared to say hey I want you to see this or any other comments about the actual poem itself? Because there's so much richness in it that um, mm. the other the other content of it should not be lost. 
Uh, I will just say, I mean, it resonated very um, deeply with me uh, because, I mean, the thing that people don't see, I suppose, in me is, is just, and I don't think this is very, uh, that this isn't commonplace at all. I think everyone feels this. Just the, uh, you know, the roiling sea of insecurity that we, you know, drop the confidence mask over. Mm. Um I mean, it's just something I struggle with every day, and that's something that very much resonated with me in that piece. That was yeah. my interpretation of this kind of internal struggle, mm. and particularly the draping of the exterior over just to just to get through the day. You mm. know? Yeah, absolutely. It's a coping mechanism mm. that yeah. we all do sometimes. Yeah, yeah. 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 And the, and the fear to get back to what you're talking about, I mean, the fear of exposing that to other people and then that becoming a burden on them, mm. you know. To what degree has your journey with a journey with Bernie and Chip. Okay. You know, this last year, Chip, I mean, you you came on board with me because I was looking for someone to assist me with the editing and the production of of each of the episodes. And I didn't know how long that would last. In fact, in reality, I thought, oh, this will be good for six, seven, eight, ten weeks until he gets bored of it and has to move on and do other things. But, mate, we've moved into a completely different place Hmm. um, whereby this is now almost a personal lifestyle (laughs) call. To what degree has your journey with A Journey with Bernie and Chip, the podcast, and, and, and all the things that we shared, how has that affected that feelings of insecurity? Oh, it's, yeah, it's much, much better as a direct result of that. I'll tell you why specifically. I'll try to keep this short. Um, you know, I've done, um, done a lot of personal and psychological work in the lead up to meeting you, getting involved in this sport. And this is why I love this, love what we're doing so much. Uh, what the podcast did was, and what you certainly facilitated, particularly with the Nepal trips, is it really forced me to just start actioning all this information I'd just been guzzling down, mm. right? And so that's why this is so valuable. And that's why we're leaning so hard on this. Guys, you've got to do something. It's, it's yeah. not enough just to listen. Yeah. It's not enough just to consume. Yeah. You've got to do something. Yeah. And, and that's get, this podcast has given me the accountability and the reason to, to start doing yeah. as opposed to learning. Yeah, well, well said. It's also why, Louise, we've placed such an emphasis even with you, our guests, Let's hear the, the, the story. Let's hear the poetry. Um, let, let's hear what Margarita had to say recently about working with mm-hmm. the homeless. Let's hear all that. But in hearing it, what action strategy, routine, discipline, we, we're trying to make the journey of becoming joy and love hard-edged. Yeah. You know, making it a purpose that can actually come alive and real. Um, and, but we can't do that unless we know what steps to actually take and and this is where I've learned I've learned there's hundreds of steps I thought there'd be 10 <laughs> and after 10, limitless and after 39 10, I thought after 10 episodes we'd overlap them all and that, and 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 really the message was done you know that's not the case but I keep on digging and prodding what more is there me again, friends and neighbours, with Chip's second loaded question. Now, this one was going to be a bit obvious. I was just going to slug you with it like a baseball bat. What step can you take tomorrow to bring more joy, love, and meaning into your life? 
We're at episode 63. You've heard from so many guests with so much insight. The knowledge is there. So what's the single step you can now execute tomorrow to bring more joy, love, and meaning into your life? That was going to be the question. But it's a bit predictable, isn't it? Which gave me a thought. Often it's not the bringing in, it's the clearing out. Not the beginning, but the ending. So here's the real question. What can you stop doing tomorrow that will make space for more joy, love, and meaning in your life? What's the blockage, the self-sabotage, the harmful habit that you can remove? I'll go first, ready? I'm talking to my tomorrow self. Chip, stop drinking more than one cup of coffee per day. One is a lovely boost. Any more than that is a recipe for brain fog, irritability, and this weird metallic taste in the back of your mouth that I still can't explain. Okay, that was me. Now you. Hey, around the table, greatest take-home pay today. If there is one piece of action that you've heard or maybe one piece of action that we haven't articulated and you just go like, wow, I've just got to do that a little bit more in order to be a fraction more joyful, a, a little bit more loving, what, what are we taking away from today? I spoke earlier about finding what your creative outlet yeah. is for some sort as some sort of way of healing. I'm going to take it one step further and say once you find what that is and start doing it for yourself, reach a point where you want to share it with somebody. Mm. And it doesn't matter if you're sharing it on a platform like a podcast with a lot of people like I am because for me this is very therapeutic. Uh, you can share it with one person who you really trust but share get to a point where you feel like you can share your creativity with somebody because that's yeah. the next step yeah. in healing yourself is in finding a connection that that what you have created and that what is healing for you can then be healing or beneficial for another person mm. and they get to know you on a deeper level as well. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I th because I think the highest calling of creativity is communication. And you, you need somebody else to complete that circuit. Mm, mm. Absolutely. Mm. Hey, Chipster, what are you taking away today? Uh, I want to piggyback off of this and say um, we talked about getting back to nature. Uh, I would say pay attention. You know, you, you want to go to all different kinds of natural environments, but pay attention to the one that really sings to you because some people just love the beach, right? But that's not really my thing. You know, I'm not a huge beach guy, but mountains, uh, lakes, you know, uh, bush, you know, I grew up in the outback, like these are the things that, that really sing to me. And I would say, you know, and make it a little bit of a game and this can help you make nature a routine for you. Like uh, look, look and, and try a bunch of different ones and find the one that works best for you. I like that, Chip. I like that. Look and find a couple of different ones and identify the ones that work best for you. My take home pay is, is the challenge and the calling of, of how many more circumstances, how many more opportunities are there to be appropriately real and authentic. And furthermore, don't even speak about being real and authentic in absolutes. I mean, that is a mm. continuous journey. Yeah, uh, well said. There is so much more rawness and vulnerability and realness, I suspect, that's within each and every one of us, but 
that's not the topic here. I'm talking about me. And I know there is. And, and I want to take on that journey with some aggression um, and appropriately still with empathy. I, I'm, I'm still attached to uh, the respect for those that are around me, um, but to be unafraid to display in the appropriate way greater degrees of rawness and authenticity. Um, because I want to announce that I'm really happy to be me. <laughs> because, because why? Because the real Louise is the best gift that you can give. The mm. real chip. That's an unbelievable, incredible gift which I've come to love and appreciate ever since you know, the whole connection has, has grown. And I know the best gift I can give is not a modified version mm. of me. It's, it's, it's the real authentic me. But as I always say, we do that in degrees. <laughs> hey, <laughs> thank nice you, thank you, thank you very, very much. Dear listeners, I hope you had a hoot listening to this. Um, we certainly did. And Louise Bennett, I just want you to know that loving you is the easiest thing in the world. So cop that, kid. <laughs> and uh, you have been a part of. I'm just going to ask you, please, to sign off today. We've never done this before where we've asked our guests. Could you sign us off, please, dear Louise? I'll sign us off. <laughs> Thank you for joining us all. This has been a journey with Bernie and Chip. Chip. And Bing. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're dropping Bing from now on, mate. Chip, great to have you on board too. You too, dear listeners. Love you all. Glad you enjoyed the podcast. And there's another ripper just coming around the corner. Goodbye for now. Well, good people, what did you think of that? I don't know about you, but I just loved it. But I continue to love these stories and these journeys of people's lives that can give to us strategies and actions and routines and and disciplines and ways of seeing the world, all of which can help us to become more loving human beings, happier ones too. And listening intently is the chipster, Chip Lachlan Huddy, our editor and producer. And as promised, he's about to deliver Chip's take-home pay, a four-minute summary of all the goodness and the gold that we just heard over the last hour. Hey, take it away, Chip. Good morrow, my fellow wanderers, my adventurers of the spirit, my seekers. After that bright light of meaning, it's Chip again. Crikey, you've had to put up with me all throughout this episode. You've had to deal with my loaded questions. And now here I am with the take-home pay. Are you sick of me yet? Nah, you're not sick of me yet. And I promise I'll make this take-home pay worth your while. Let's go back to creativity. Art, specifically. Louise set the stage with those gorgeous poems of hers. So today I want to make the case for art as a powerful tool in the construction of a meaningful life. Now, you know me, art is already a cornerstone of my life. I love writing. I love filmmaking. I love podcasting. I even enjoy a little graphic design, amateur graphic design. And of course, I adore consuming art, reading books, seeing films, watching series, hearing music, going to galleries, taking in plays. I bloody well love a good magic show too. Renee and I went to Vegas one time and they made a tiger disappear. It was euphoric. 
I love art. It's not everything to me, but it is very, very much. But regular listeners will know I also like to keep things grounded. I like to keep things utilitarian. So yes, art is fun. Art can even bring in a living if you're smart and you work hard at it. But what is it actually useful for beyond amusement? What does it do for us as a species besides give us an interesting diversion? Well, uh, I've heard a few scientists address this question and their responses were pretty brutal. Nothing. As far as science can tell, art really is just a way of amusing ourselves. Very little survival value in a bang and pop song, for instance. And yet, what is amusement at base level? It's joy. And art, good art, intentional art, art that hits and connects and gets under your skin, that stuff is like mainlining joy. And I reckon a major reason for this is that art is an act of willed connection. The artist creates, puts the work out there, and invites the audience to interact with it. It's an invitation to communicate. And when that communication works, when the artwork ignites something inside you, makes you feel comforted or inspired or roused or new or disturbed, something in you recognizes that this piece of art was made by someone who understands you. It's like making a new friend. It's like someone saying, hey, you're one of mine. And that is joyous. Now, is this all just a highfalutin way of saying that the pay I think you should take home this week is everyone should have an artistic practice? Yes, it is. So, a few action steps now because I owe you some action steps. You can try just the one uh, or you can mix and match. First, go back to today's first loaded question and see where you're at with an artistic practice because that'll give you a starting point from here. First action step, and this is for the people who don't do anything artistic right now, find that thing you did as a child, set aside 20 minutes sometime in the next week. One week is all you have to do this. Set aside 20 minutes, set aside a private space, set the timer on your phone to that 20 minutes, and until that timer runs out, you do that artistic thing you did as a child and nothing else. You draw, or you paint, or you write, or you sing, or you play the banjo, whatever it was. And the important thing is you have to record it somehow. If you're actually making something like drawing a picture or writing a story, that's easy. You've got, you'll have the picture or the story. But if you're playing an instrument or singing or something like that, you should record a video or sound clip of you doing this. Just record it on your phone, same phone you're using to set the timer. You want something concrete at the end of this exercise so that you can look back on it and see how you did. So when the time's up, you look back, you examine what you did, you can either keep it or you can burn it, delete it, bury it in a drawer, whatever. But see how it feels, see how it makes you feel. The other action step, and this is for those people who already have an artistic practice, same setup as in the last action step, 20 minute timer, record what you're doing. But for you guys, you should do that artistic thing that you used to love, but that you've let fall by the wayside. Have a proper crack at it for 20 minutes. Judge what you've done. See how you feel. See what you want to do with that product. Third action step, okay, and this is for everyone. Go and consume an artwork you wouldn't ordinarily appreciate. If you always watch movies, go read a short story. If you only read novels, go watch a documentary. If you only play games, go see a fine art exhibition. If you only ever watch sport, do any of these things. 
Leave your comfort zone. Test your boundaries. Give yourself no option but to attempt to appreciate something outside your usual sphere. Sounds like bullshit, Chip, I hear you say. What's the reasoning here? What's the actual goal? Well, first two action steps are meant to put you in touch with the child you used to be. That wild young creature who knew primarily, instinctively, how to find their joy. The third action step is meant to open you up to joys you haven't yet experienced. Because consuming art is such a fantastically low risk, potentially high reward way to discover new sources of joy. And that's the reason for all of it in the end. Joy. That's what makes art such a powerful tool for this project of ours. Because yes, sure, art has no survival value, but who wants to just survive? Survival by itself is meaningless. The meaning comes from the life you live beyond mere survival. And the difference between living and just surviving is joy. All right, that's all from me, beautiful people. I'm Chip Huddy. This has been Chip's Take Home Pay, and I do hope you found some pay worth taking home. As always, my friends, auf Wiedersehen. Ah, uh, that was gold, dear people. That was Lachlan Huddy and Chip's Take Home Pay. Simple strategies, aren't they? Just humble suggestions taken specifically from this episode. And you know, and I know that if we implement them into our lives, it's just going to help us to be happier, a more beautiful human being and a more loving one at that. And who doesn't want that happening in their lives? Oh, dear people, I do hope this episode of A Journey with Bernie had a positive impact upon you. I can't wait to deliver the next one. Hey, it's just around the corner. Please enjoy this journey of life. Embrace this journey. And in the meantime, dear people, just remember this. Remember this.